Good morning, church. I love hearing us sing that song because Jesus Christ is our living hope. Would you give God a round of applause if you believe that? It is great to be here with you today. It really is. Yesterday morning, I was working around the house just doing some different things, and the entire time I was thinking, man, I can't wait to be in church tomorrow, gathering together with God's people and the church that we love, full of the people that we love. And so it is really wonderful to be here with you today. I do hope that you had a great Christmas. I told you a little bit last week about the Christmas Tina and I were having. We had our oldest son, Nick. He was at home with his wife, Sam, and, and our little baby granddaughter, Renly, who's two years old, just turned two. She was so much fun. I got to tell you, this being a grandpa thing, that's pretty cool. So uh, I got her a couple guns this year for Christmas because she's two. One of them is a, a 22 that she's really looking forward to shooting. She was very excited about it. And then the other one, of course, is a toy revolver because she needed one. So I got her one and I got her dad one, and she was running through the house shooting everybody, which was a blast. Now, it got pretty interesting when it came to her uncle Eli, who was also home. You might know that he is a police officer, so we had her running through the house shooting the bad guy, and when it came time to shoot Uncle Eli, he didn't even know what to do so he had his hands up and fallen to the ground but he brought a young lady home first time he has ever done that and she has a daughter who's a year and a half old so we had Renly and Elsie running through the house and then we had five dogs with us um, our our two and our youngest one is 16 weeks old so we had the little puppy running through the house Eli just got a puppy who is Nine weeks old, 10 weeks old, something like that, running through the house. Nick and Sam have a one-year-old Australian shepherd, so she was running through the house, rounding everybody up, including the little kids and the other dogs. We had dogs under feet, we had children under feet, and we were having the greatest time ever. We really were. But Monday at 2 o'clock, after they had left, we were asleep on the couch. And that's... Whew, that was all we could do. So it was fun. Hope you had a great time as well. And more than anything, want you to know that we are glad you're here in worship. If you're in the parking lot, we want to say hello to you. If you're in the chapel, the pavilion, we want to say hello to you. And if you're listening online a little bit later this week, know that we are glad that you are and we want to say hello to you also. I've got a pretty good joke for you this morning. It's a great way to start out the new year. So we'll give it a go. Here you go. We have a, a number of ladies in the church that are pregnant or have just had babies, and so this resonates loudly. Four expectant fathers were in a Minnesota hospital waiting room while their wives were in labor. The nurse comes in and tells the first man, congratulations, you're the father of twins. What a coincidence, the man exclaims, I work for the Minnesota Twins baseball team. The nurse returns a short while later and tells the second man, you're the father of triplets. Wow, what a coincidence, he replies. I work for the 3M Corporation. When the nurse comes in again, she tells the third man that his wife has given birth to quadruplets. Another coincidence, he tells her, I work for the Four Seasons Hotel. At this point, the fourth guy faints. When he comes to, the others ask him what's wrong, and he moans, I work for 7-Eleven. <laughs> Pretty good stuff. Steve Snockenberg, chairman of our elders, is going to come and lead us in a time of prayer as we go into the new year. This is a great way to start it out. So let's pray together. Steve, come lead us. 
By the way, our elders will be meeting together this week talking about what's going to happen in the life of the church in the next 12 months. So be sure and be praying for the leaders of the churches. They're making plans and at the same time navigating the craziness of this last year, but looking forward expectantly to what's going to happen in the new year. Steve, lead out. Pray with me, please. Father, you are so good. And that song that we just sang, You Are Our Living Hope, that represents what we are looking forward to this next year because we have placed all of our eggs in one basket and that basket is with you, knowing that you are our creator, that you are our God, and that you sent us a savior. Lord, we're counting on you because we know that you are on your throne. So thank you for today. Help us to worship you, to praise you in song and in and uh, indeed, Lord, throughout this day, watch over each and every one of us and thank you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If you'll give me the grace to do so, I want to take us back into the Christmas story one more time. Now I say one more time, but the truth is in the coming weeks, I'm going to reference this story a number of times. But as far as I know right now, and it's always fluid, this is the last time we're going to read it. So I'd ask you for the grace to go back just once again. Join me in Luke chapter 1. There is a truth tucked away in this story that I believe we all need to see. And that's why I'm going to come back to it over and over again in the coming weeks. And, and uh, well, just want to make sure that we drive it home. Because as 2021 is getting started, it seems to me that we need this truth now more than maybe ever. You'll understand why as we go through this. Luke chapter 1, verse 25. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now the truth that I want you to see is tucked right in the middle of a faith question and a faith declaration. The faith question is offered by Mary. It's found in verse 34. Take a look. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The faith declaration also comes from Mary. It's found in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
It is incredibly interesting that she can so rapidly go from a faith question to a faith declaration. Four verses from verse 34 to verse 38. That's all it took for her to move from the realm of saying, how can this be to let it be to me? That is an amazing jump. It really is. It's a rapid jump. One that I do not believe possible without the truth that Gabriel offered to her in verse 37. Did you see it? Let's look one more time. For nothing will be impossible with God. That is a biblical truth offered to Mary in such a way that it allowed her to make that rapid, great leap to the point that she said, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. Let it happen. I'm ready. She was about to experience an incredible miracle, one that would not only impact her life, but all of mankind. And when I say all of mankind, I'm not kidding. All of mankind, past, present, and future, would be touched by this miracle that she was about to experience. For all things will be possible with God. For all things will be possible with God. That is an incredible truth that sets the table for a miracle. It's an interesting thing to think about. Mary was ready for the miracle. She was excited for it. She was willing to be involved in it. But not everyone is. Not everyone, contrary to popular belief, is ready for a miracle. Not every person is open to experiencing a miracle. And certainly not every person in the world that we live in today believes that miracles still happen. Yet they do. One of the biggest stumbling blocks for people in the the realm of experiencing miracles or believing in miracles are belief systems that have taken root through strange teaching, modern philosophies, goofy teachings, all kinds of different things have happened to cause this. Last week we talked about one called pantheism. There's another popular belief system that erodes people's ability to experience miracles or even believe in them called deism. It's been around for a long time and it is very similar to pantheism but also very different. Let me show you just the difference between the two. The difference between pantheism and deism is that pantheism is the belief that the universe is in some sense divine and should be revered. Pantheism identifies the universe with God, but denies any personality or transcendence of such a God. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember how we defined pantheism. People that subscribe to that belief believe that God is in the universe all around us. And God can be appreciated through all the things that we see, but he is not personal and he is not involved. Deism takes it a little bit deeper. While deism is a philosophical belief in the existence of a God, knowable through human reason, especially a belief in a creator God, unaccompanied by any belief in supernatural phenomena. 
Now, deism says, I believe not just that God is captured within the universe and is all around me. Deism believes in a personal deity that created everything, including us. But then he stepped back and said, you're on your own. That's deism. He never gets involved. He never intercedes. He never touches us personally. That's deism. Now, pantheism believes that God does not intervene in any way, shape, means, or form either. Deism just makes him a little bit more personal, but then he steps back. In some ways, deism is more of an insult to God than pantheism is. But both of those belief systems erode people's ability to experience miracles. It's a shame. It's a total shame. It also erodes people's ability to experience answered prayer. Because if God is impersonal, if God is not involved in my life, then he isn't going to hear my prayers. And he is never going to respond to those. Yet if we can push past those belief systems and get to a place where we have a personal relationship with God, believing him not just to be creator, but also savior, and not just savior, but also Lord, then the table is set for us to experience Miracles. Miracles. There are a a number of people, though, that have taken the idea of miracles and so elevated it that they believe that everything that happens in their life is a miracle. By doing so, they water down the very definition of the word. They water down the very idea of a miracle. Rather than recognizing that sometimes the things that we experience are just natural They're just natural because God loves us and he created a world to sustain us. Sometimes the things that we would call a miracle are just a part of living. But every once in a while, other miracles happen. From time to time, God intervenes. Now, you may not understand completely what the definition of miracle is, and Mary was about to experience one that fits this definition perfectly. A miracle happens when God breaks through the natural in various ways to reveal himself to us by doing the supernatural so that he draws us closer to him. That's the definition of a miracle. Look at how it begins. A miracle happens when God breaks through the natural order. In the world that we live in today, There are laws that dictate everything that happens. The laws of physics, the laws of creation. All of those things are in place and they keep the earth spinning on its axis. God was the creator of those laws. And when he wants to, he can break through those laws. And he can do something so supernatural that it could not be done any other way. That's a miracle. God breaks through the natural order to accomplish the supernatural that we will know him better. Definition of a miracle. That's the one that Mary was about to experience. God was going to break through the natural order. Look at her conception from the Holy Spirit. God broke through the natural order so that he could perform the supernatural. He came to earth that we might know him better. The miracle of the virgin birth is the baseline with which all other miracles can be measured. God broke through the natural order to do the supernatural, to reveal himself to us that we might be drawn to him. 
I love that. I love that. And over the course of the coming weeks, we are going to explore the miracles of the New Testament, a good number of the miracles of the New Testament. And I'm going to show you how God breaks through the natural order to reveal himself that we might be drawn to him. But in order to really understand all of this, you have to know that there is a difference between a miracle and an answered prayer. And a lot of times things that we would attribute to the miraculous are in reality answered prayers. The difference is pretty easy to understand. An answered prayer happens within the natural order. And usually they happen for our benefit. God answers our prayers for our benefit. Now he still wants us to be drawn closer to him, but answered prayers come within the natural order of things as God says, I'm here and I'm listening and I'm helping and I'm involved. See the difference? Shake your head yes. If you don't, don't shake your head no. It would be discouraging. Just shake your head yes. If you don't see it yet, stay with me as we go through this study and hopefully the two will become quite clear to you. As we move on into the Christmas story, though, and Mary's particular miracle, we get to understand some really fun ways that God helps us grow in our faith, beginning with that faith question that she asked. Let's look at it again. Verse 34. I want you to look at the structure of it in particular. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be? She began her faith question with the word how. In my experience over the course of the last three decades in ministry, I have come to believe that most faith questions begin the same way, with the word how. When we ask how, usually we are doing that because we're trying to solve a problem or fix something that is outside of our capability. So we say, how does this work? Or how am I going to get through this? Or how will I ever survive this? Or how will I, you can plug in whatever you want. How is one of those questions, one of those words that we use when something is so immense that we can't wrap our head around it? 20 years ago, Experts said that when people ask the question how and then plug in whatever you want, they were traditionally looking for a list of options that would become solutions. And then they could choose from that list whatever path they wanted to follow to get the answer to their how question. Well, things have changed dramatically through different avenues, but predominantly things like Google and YouTube. When we type in how questions today, we don't want a list of options. We want the best option, the fastest option, and we want both of those to come up first so that we don't waste any time. So when we go to YouTube and we type in a how question, we want the video that is going to help us the most to be up at the top of the list so that we can hit play and move on with our life. Or when we Google something, we want it to be the first option that comes up. That has led recent experts to say this, and it has only taken 20 years to go from experts saying that when people ask a how question, they want a list of possibilities, to this. Starting a question with how does not restrict the amount of solutions, but it does require, at the very least, one answer. We just want one answer. 
Just one answer. At the very least, if I want more, I'll go dig it. But at the very least, I want one answer. Mary was ahead of her time. She wanted just one answer and she got it. We'll come back to that in just a second. But first, let me take you through a list of how questions, faith questions that people ask. These are the ones that I answer most frequently. Here are some of them up on the screen. Number one, how can God love everyone? Number two, how can I be forgiven? Number three, I don't know anyone that would die for someone they've never met, so why would Jesus willingly die on the cross? Number four, how does grace work? Number five, how can the Trinity be true? Number six, how will the rapture work? Number seven, how can God love someone but also let them go to hell? Number eight, how can the Bible be accurate? Number nine, how can God hear everyone's prayer at the same time? Number 10, how can I know that God will answer my prayers? Faith questions. All but one of them starts with how. And most people, when they ask them, they're not looking for a list of options. They're looking for one answer, particularly today. Now, I was in ministry 20 years ago when a list of options might have been acceptable. But today, people want one answer. More than likely, They want the same answer that Mary got. This is it. Coming up on the screen. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's the answer to all of those faith questions. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, once people understand that, then a list of options underneath that and deeper understanding, that all begins to fill in some blanks for them. But it all begins with this. Nothing will be impossible with God. Even simple questions like, how can I be forgiven of my sin? Nothing will be impossible with God. You have to understand that before you can ever understand the cross of Jesus Christ. When people say, how can God hear everyone's prayers all at the same time? Nothing will be impossible with God. You have to believe that before you can believe that God can hear your prayers individually. Nothing will be impossible with God. Yet on that list, there are still questions like this. How does the Trinity work? And this is the only option we have, the only answer. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's that's the best way to explain it. Nothing will be impossible with God. Trust, trust, fill yourself up with faith. For Mary, this is all it took. Nothing will be impossible with God. And she could jump from her faith question to her faith declaration, expecting the miracle, expecting the miracle. But it doesn't always play out that way. We don't always jump from a faith question right into a faith declaration, expecting the miracle, and then just open our eyes so that we can see it. Sometimes God has to do a little more work in our lives in order to bring that about. Let me give you an example. We're still in the Christmas story. Let's just turn back one page in the Gospel of Luke, and I'll show it to you. Starting in chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were born righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, here's his faith question, listen to how it starts. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, we have two dramatically different stories that begin the same way, with a faith question. That faith question beginning with the word, how? For Mary, she asked her question and quickly moved to the declaration. Let it be to me. I'm ready, Lord. Send the miracle. It only took four verses to get there. But in Zechariah's story, he says, how can this be? He asked his faith question, starting with the same word, how, and things took on a specifically different look. Lord had to do some honing in his life. Mary was ready for the miracle. Zechariah wasn't. Now, why? Why does it happen that way? Why does one story in four verses go from here to here and then another story has a whole different approach? Why? Well, maybe, just maybe, we have to look at Gabriel in order to understand this. We need to look a little closer at the messenger so that we can get our head wrapped around this. I know that you've heard his name. He's one of the most popular characters of the Christmas story. But I don't know if you've ever really explored Gabriel in Scripture. If you have, you know this. He is one of only two named angels in all of the Bible. Michael is the other one. A lot of folks believe that the Bible says that Michael and Gabriel were both archangels. That's not true. The Bible only says that Michael was an archangel. We believe that Gabriel was an archangel from the writing of Enoch 
the book of Enoch, which is a pseudepigraphal book, which means it was never canonized. Yet, interestingly enough, it is quoted in our scriptures. The book of Enoch is quoted in our Bible. So we do have to pay attention to it, yet we do not have to believe that it is the authoritative word of God. In the book of Enoch, Gabriel is called an archangel. That's why we believe that he bore the exact same title. He shows up four specific times in Scripture. The first one is in the Old Testament. He shows up with Daniel when he brings him an answered prayer. And it is a dramatic, dramatic story. Wonderful story that helps us understand how the Lord answers prayer and the battle that surrounds our prayer life. Well, Gabriel is involved there. Then he speaks to Zechariah, and he speaks to Joseph, and he speaks to Mary. Those are the four times that we find him named in the Bible. Yet a number of scholars would tell you, and I wouldn't call myself a scholar, but I would say as a preacher, I agree with them. They would tell you that Gabriel shows up other times as well. In the New Testament, he comes with the title, the angel of the Lord or an angel of the Lord. Now, dial in real close so that you hear this. There is a huge difference between the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament and the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when the angel, the angel of the Lord appeared, it was a theophany, which is a visible appearance of God. In most situations, if not every one of those situations, it would have been the second person of the Trinity, the Son. It was Jesus that was appearing. When the angel of the Lord appears in the Old Testament, it is a pre-incarnate Christ. That's Jesus showing up. In the New Testament, though, because Jesus has been born, he is here Not only has he been born, but he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. When we hear about the angel of the Lord or an angel of the Lord in the New Testament, it's different. That's not Jesus because we have Jesus in front of us. So those scholars would tell you that in the New Testament, when we see Gabriel or the angel of the Lord, we're seeing Gabriel. He's showing up again. And I think that is probably very accurate. Now, we may get to heaven and find out that we're totally wrong. This is not one of those things to dig your heels in on, but it is more than likely Gabriel. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. And that'll be a cool thing to find out when we stand before the Lord. But in the the meantime, understand this. Gabriel shows up not just as a messenger. He shows up in some other powerful ways. Here are some of the examples of the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. You can look them up on your own with the exception of this one. I want you to see the last one. Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 20. This is my favorite one. Might not be yours. It's mine. Verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of a god and not of a man. 
Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Now, I kind of like seeing Gabriel in that situation because we picture him as that white, angelic figure in the Christmas story, wings behind him and a halo on his head, and he comes to bring a great message to all these different people. But then if we can make the switch from that picture to this picture, that's Gabriel saying, well, that's enough out of you, and he knocks him down, and that's it. And Herod's eaten by worms. End of story. Pretty simple. Gabriel brought the thunder. I kind of like that picture of him too. You get to see a different side of Gabriel. I'm the messenger of the Lord and I have a message to deliver. You're dead. Boom. End of story. Okay, a little morbid. (laughs) Moving on then. That's my favorite appearance. There are others. And I do encourage you to look those up so that you can get your head around Uh, Gabriel just a little bit more so that you can understand the difference in the two stories. Why did Mary jump from the question to the declaration so quickly and Zachariah find himself in a place where he had to be honed before he could make a declaration? Well, it could be that the answer is revealed to us in Zachariah's story. Let's go back to it. Luke chapter 1, verse 19. Right after Gabriel asked his, or Zechariah asked his question in verse 18, again, this is how it sounds. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. How can you ask that question? I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I brought you the answer. Why why are you questioning me? When Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God, what he means is he knows things. He knows things. Gabriel's been there for a long, long time. When God says something's going to happen, he knows it's going to happen. There wasn't a question in his mind. So when Gabriel brought this message to Zechariah, there shouldn't have been a question in his mind, at least not in Gabriel's thinking. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. How many times, Zechariah, have you had an angel stand in front of you? How many times has this happened in your life? Why are you questioning this? I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. That's what he was saying. I know things, I know things. And so now you're going to think about some things. You're going to be quiet for a while. You're not going to be able to talk. Your declaration's going to have to wait. The implication is really, really simple. Gabriel, because he stands in the presence of God, has the ability to know whether a faith is strong or whether it needs some honing. Because he stands in the presence of God, he knows some things that we could never understand. And one of the things that he knows as you lay these two stories side by side is how strong your faith is. And so he responds differently. There are different responses to our faith questions based on our faith. There are different responses to our how questions based on our belief. Zechariah and Mary show us that. Sometimes the miracle is held back for a little while, or at least the declaration is, as God is honing something within us so that we can understand 
and get to a place that we're ready to make the declaration with everything that we have. So the miracle waits a little while. The declaration waits a little while. And for other people, it comes very quickly. One of the things that we have to understand about Gabriel is the amount of time that he has been with the Lord. Gabriel was there when time began. He was there to sing God's praises over creation. You may say, what in the world are you talking about, preacher? Well, let's go to the Old Testament, the book of Job. Job chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? There it is in in verse 7. The angels, the sons of God at creation were shouting for joy. They saw what God was doing and they were shouting for joy. The morning stars, also the angels, they sang together over creation. Gabriel was one of them. He was there. Remember, he shows up in the Old Testament. He was there at creation, shouting for joy over God's power, over what God was doing. And because he stands in the presence of the Lord, there's all the reason in the world to believe that he understood that Jesus would come. 4,000 years later, he understood that Jesus would come, that Jesus would be necessary because of what creation would do. Yet he shouted for joy, stood in the presence of the Lord. He wasn't all-knowing, but things were revealed to him. So when he came to Zechariah, and Zechariah's question came out the way it did, Gabriel responded the way he did. Same thing happens for us. When the Lord puts something in front of us, our faith determines the outcome. We have to know that. Even in the realm of miracles, Our faith determines the outcome. Yet as you make your way through both of these stories, Mary's and Zachariah's, one thing that you have to remember is that it was never about angels. It was never about angels. Miracles are never about angels. Miracles are about God drawing us closer to him. Miracles are about God revealing more of himself to us. The angels are just the messengers. Be careful that you don't fall into the popular, common, easy traps of exalting the messenger rather than looking at the one who sends the message, the creator. Be careful that you don't fall into the easy trap of the worship of angels, the belief that angels are the ones who bring about different things in our lives. They're only the messengers. It's all about God. Writer of Hebrews believed so strongly in that that he wanted to give us a warning. And he starts right away in his book with that warning. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. We don't know who the author of this book is. A lot of people believe it was Paul, some believe it was Barnabas. There's other speculation as well. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but they had great insight. 
Listen to what the writer says, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of, your, of uprightness, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the writer is saying, it was never about angels. They were just ministering spirits. It was always about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. The angels have just revealed him. The greatest miracle that ever touched mankind was Jesus Christ and is Jesus Christ. Amen? And he's the one that we're drawn to. And every miracle, every message from God is designed to do that, to draw us back to Jesus. And so sometimes, in the midst of our faith questions, it isn't the miracle that we need to be after. It is just the truth of Jesus. It's knowing that he is who he says he is. Not that he stands in the presence of God, but that he is God. That's the message we need to be looking for. That's the truth that we need to be holding on to. And once we do, we can understand that nothing will ever be impossible for him because he is God. And that he's all we need. He is all we need. It's entirely possible that nobody teaches us that message better than John the Baptist. Right at the end of his life, John was locked up in prison. He was going to lose his head for the sake of Jesus. He had some disciples around him while he was in prison, and he sent them to the Lord. Not to bring back a miracle, but to bring back knowledge. I want you to hear what happens. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, 
He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I love, I love that John didn't say to his disciples, you go tell Jesus where I'm at and tell him to come get me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you get to him and say, if you really are the Christ, get me out of this situation. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you get to him and tell him, I need a miracle right now or my life is over. He didn't say that. What John said was, you go make sure that he is who he says he is. I just need some peace. And they did. And they brought that message back. And John got to hear it. Paraphrased, it sounds like this. You go back and tell him, I am. You go back and tell him, I am. And that's all he needs to know. But he gave him a little more assurance. Jesus said, you go back and tell him, look at the history that you have over the course of our lives together, John. Look at the miracles. They reveal me for who I am. The lame walk, the blind see. The poor have heard the gospel. You look back at what you've already experienced and you have your answer. You have your answer. That's the way it works. Miracles reveal Jesus and they draw us closer to him. My friends, let me let you in on a little secret. As we go into 2021, we've left 2020 behind us, move into this new year. What you need more than anything, what we all need more than anything is Jesus. He's what we need. He's the answer to everything that we face. He is the answer to every challenge in front of us, every hurdle, every obstacle. Whether that is nationally, whether that is as a church, or whether that is personally. What we need more than anything is Jesus. And if you already have him in your life, what you need more than anything is more of Jesus. So be drawn to him. Have your eyes open. And pray in such a way that God can answer your prayers. And if a miracle is needed, trust that he will break through the natural order. But if he doesn't and he is answering your prayers within the natural order, then you be drawn to him because he's what we need. He's who we need. He is the answer to everything. And no matter what we face, nothing will be impossible with him. Nothing. Isn't that cool? That is just great news. Let it be an encouragement to you as we have left a discouraging season. Know that we are moving into an encouraging one because of Jesus Christ. That's all we need. Back in October, I got a devotion from Charles Swindoll. Spoke loudly to me. If you've worshiped with us long at all, you know that I just, I love that guy. What a preacher. Writer author, speaker. He's just amazing. So I want to leave that with you. Worship team's going to come. This spoke loudly to me in October and it has several times since. I hope it'll do the same for you. Listen close. 
Are you living with an impossibility and the insurmountable challenge that you're powerless to change? Maybe it's a grown child straying in the wrong direction. Maybe it's your marriage or chronic pain or perhaps a wall you've slammed into with your career. Whatever it is, you've run out of options. No pastor, no professional, no friend, not even you yourself can bring the change that's needed. You're stuck. Am I describing your life? If so, I've got great news. We are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. On earth, Jesus performed miracles that proved what Scripture says. Nothing will be impossible with God. John records seven that perfectly illustrate Jesus' astonishing power so that you might believe. Jesus demonstrated his power over quality. John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wedding wine. When the master of ceremonies tasted, he says the bridegroom saved the best for last. He demonstrated his power over distance. Chapter 4, Jesus heals a man's son from five hours away. He demonstrates his power over time. In chapter 5 of John's gospel, Jesus heals a man who had been lame for 38 years. He demonstrates his power over quantity. In chapter 6, Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He demonstrates his power over nature. In chapter 6, when Jesus walks on water, he demonstrates his power over misfortune. In chapter 9, when Jesus gives sight to a man born blind. And he demonstrates his power over death. In chapter 11, when Jesus calls forth Lazarus from the grave. Need to turn something ordinary into something of quality? God's good at that. Got a person you need to reach who's far away? He has no problem with distance either. Been wrestling with something so long you can't remember what life was like before? He's the master of time. Need an impossible provision? He provides more than enough. The laws of physics say your reality can't be changed. The Creator wrote those laws so that He can change them. Limited by a lifelong disability, God will help you through every circumstance. Death itself is no match for Him. Promises are fulfilled when God says, Now. At that point, He turns our impossibilities into great opportunities. I'm not saying to expect a miracle a day. For reasons we don't know, God does not always intervene. But miracles do happen. They're rare, and they defy explanation. And they're enough to change your life. All we have to do is remember what God has done and be drawn to Him so that we can see His Son. Whatever you do, you remember. You hold on to what the Lord has already done and you look forward expectantly to what He has in store. Let's stand and sing together.